0: their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. If ever there was a person worth listening to, that individual surely has to be Julian Treasure. Something few of us ever consider is the importance of listening. Even less of us think about how sound affects our behaviours and moods. Julian is a sound and communication expert and his extensive studies into and the understanding of the power of sound is at the core of his business, the sound agency. His pioneering methods help businesses boost sales and improve customer experiences. But he takes his knowledge and experience even further by publicly speaking on the subject, all around the world, in fact, and his five TED Talks have been watched by over 15 million people. Five TED Talks, that's just greedy. Oh, and by the way, he's a media commentator for Time magazine, and the BBC. So definitely worth listening to our guest today, the brilliant Julian Treasure. Welcome, Julian. It's great to have you with us on the Sandro Forte Podcast. Well, thank you, Sandra. I hope I can live up to that amazing introduction you've just given me. <laughs> well, I'm 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 glad you think it was uh it was worthy of a, a, such a great person. I say great person because we've known each other for many years now, haven't we? And I've I've heard you on some uh incredible platforms, uh plying your trade and sharing some Really fascinating stuff. And that's why I was desperate to have you as a guest. So thank you for giving up time from what I know is a very, very busy schedule. So I'm um, glad to be here. I'm Thank you. I'm going to dive straight in and ask you the obvious question, Julian. Where did this obsession, because this is quite a unique subject. I mean, it's something we know a little bit about. We probably take for granted. Where did this obsession with sound and the importance of it come
1: from? Well, I've always been a musician since I was 13 years old, Um my mother sent me off to have piano lessons, and I switched it without her knowing to drums quite quickly. So I'm a drummer. Uh, I've been playing in bands all my life. And I think that's part of it, because if you're a good musician, you have to listen in a kind of multi track way. You have to listen to all the other instruments in the band or the orchestra or whatever group you're playing with. And that gives musicians a kind of multi track listening that is very attentive and able to take in and consider a lot of things at the same time. Uh, of course, it also makes you much more sensitive uh, and conscious of sound because it's, it's what you do. So all the way through my career in marketing, my previous life producing customer magazines, uh, I was playing and I was noticing the fact the world really didn't sound very good. That was the first observation made that many years ago. uh, We're surrounded by a lot of noise. So when I sold my magazine business in 2002, I really wanted to combine the two halves of me, uh, the half that understood brands and how they communicate, and the half that appreciated the impact and the power of sound. So I started doing some research. And the first question was, does this noise matter to brands? It turns out it does matter. And they're losing huge amounts of business by making poor sound. So the the first proposition really was good sound is good business. And I formed the sound agency to back that up. So it's now been going 15 years and a lot of research and a lot of case studies later uh, we really have validated that case. It matters what sound you make as a business. And along the way uh, I also became conscious that it's not just organisations that are making sound in the world. It's also us as individuals and therefore um, the TED talk started to move in that direction and a whole new kind of life opened up for me really talking about communication skills the almost untaught and barely considered skills and they are skills of speaking and in particular of listening so that's kind of where I am now focused on speaking and listening not just for individuals with with my book uh, uh, how to be heard, but also with organisations, where there's another book, Sound Business, about using sound in business. It's both of those two levels. And the mission is to make the world sound better and indeed, ultimately, to make the world sound beautiful. But that's a long way off. Mm.
0: So how do, specifically, Julian, what do you mean when you talk about businesses, you, know, say you, you use the word good sound is good business. So it's specifically in relation to business, because we have a lot of listeners that run their own businesses, What are you talking about specifically in relation to sound that relates to business?
1: Well, most businesses are very conscious of how they look. They spend lots of time and effort on logos and visual advertising. Something like 80% of the money that we spend on marketing goes in visual communication. Very few businesses traditionally have paid much attention to the question, how do we sound? And that can be all sorts of different sounds. You can have a Sonic logo. So think of Intel, for example. Uh, I think most people listening to this would struggle to draw Intel's logo, but most people will right now have that da-da-da-da going on in their mind. It's a very catchy and memorable little Sonic logo. It's worth hundreds of millions of dollars to Intel, and they've copyrighted it. Um, So that's one thing you can have. You can have music associated with your brand. I mean, anybody who's flown British Airways, for example, will be very familiar with the Flower Duet from uh, Delibes Opera, LACME which you hear on the plane, you also hear it on the phone if you're on hold, you hear it in their lounges sometimes. It's a very connected piece of music, so you can connect with music in that way or just play music in spaces. Uh, You can have what we call earcons, little sounds where you might have them in an app or on a website, or when people interface with you in some way, there's on hold. That's a whole world of, you know, telephone sound is pretty disastrous in most cases, you just think of press one for this, press two for that. (laughs) And you think of the incalculable millions of pounds or dollars of revenue that's lost by people slamming the phone down in frustration when they can't get to what they want and they can't talk to a real person. So on hold, telephone sound, the sound of voice. Does the brand have a voice? Is it old or young? Is it lively or laid back? Is it cheeky or formal? You know, what's the style, the vocal style of the brand. Some brands have that very clear. Some even have their own, you know, patois or language or codes like Disney, for example, very, very strict about what it's uh, cast, they called, not, not staff, can say uh, to guests in their parks and you know, have a magical day. Um, <laughs> So all of that, you know, you can get very, very prescriptive like that, or you may not have no idea. And that means that people talking to people from the organization might have entirely incongruent and inconsistent experiences. One person's very laid back, the next person's wildly excited. Where is the brand in that? To me, great brands are all about consistency, and that is across all the senses uh, and in every encounter with every stakeholder. So it's really asking the question, how do we sound in every encounter? Is the sound congruent with our visuals? Is it backing them up? Or is it fighting against what we're trying to say visually, which is very often the case? Mm. So um, I just want to pick up on something you said that was
0: very, very interesting then. Uh, you talk about all senses. So we've most of us have heard of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. A lot of us know the fact that uh, we've heard the expression Two ears, one mouth. Use them in those proportions, and we've also understood that a lot of people are auditory, which is what you're talking about now. A lot of people are visual and some kinesthetic. You're not advocating that we only focus on the sound, are you? We're talking about it complementing because some people are visual, but we we have all those different um, communication methods and styles, but we have them in slightly different orders. Is that right?
1: Yes, I think it's simply important to be conscious of all of them and ask the question: the weight of the different senses will vary obviously depending on whom you are talking to, who you're communicating with. As you say, some people are primarily visual, others are auditory, others kinesthetic, you know, that's, um, that's fairly obvious and personally obviously I'm massively auditory so that mm-hmm. happens to be my focus and the best way to talk to me. So I will use words like that sounds good as opposed to that looks good or I'll say how does that sound uh, to somebody instead of how does it feel, you know, so you can... You can pick up how people are, but obviously, if you're an organization, you can't ask everybody what their particular preferences are. So, the important thing is to cover all the bases and and simply not to be unconscious about messaging that you're putting out there, which is fighting, which is conflicting. It's important to make all the senses consistent. And that includes smell, by the way. I mean, I I haven't come across that many people who are primarily olfactory. However, uh, it is pretty important. Uh, as well. And there's a big industry now in in scent or fragrance marketing who will create fragrances that express brand values and can be used in sweets or flavoured water or um, fragrances in spaces, for example. So it is simply about asking the question, how are we perceived? How are we putting ourselves across in all the senses and making sure that that is consistent and the research shows uh, about this so there's a thing called super additivity because the senses affect one another all the time and if you line them up you get a lot more bang for your buck you get a huge multiplier effect it's not one plus one is two you can get one plus one can be 10 times the recall or the impact which is why brands spend so much time and attention for example on music and sound in advertising there's tons of research now that shows how important that is in making the advertising that much more effective.
0: Well, here's a bit of useless trivia for you, Julian. I'll share it with all the listeners as well. I'm actually a visual and I'm very strong olfactory. I can tell almost any scent from about 100 yards. So I'm I'm with you. I totally understand the whole olfactory uh, point you've just made, so uh, thank you for sharing, because that's opened a few people's eyes. So um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to open this up to a slightly bigger subject now, if I may. What what impact, Julian, do you think the scale of social media and the way that the, the communication styles of the modern era society in which we live uh, is having on the world? Because obviously it's become quite impactful, and obviously that that goes to the heart of a lot of what you've just said. So. The, the social media thing, how does how does that either work for or against what you've been saying?
1: Well, actually, I think it's pr- quite damaging to um, our listening. And as I said at the beginning, I think listening is a very untaught, unconsidered skill. It is a skill, and yet we're expected to pick it up, along with speaking pretty much, we're expected to pick those two things up uh, intuitively. We don't teach them and test them in school. You know, it's a scandal of a child leaves school unable to read or write but millions of ch- children leave school every year uh, without any formed listening skills or speaking skills and these things are so important in life and unfortunately the way we've been inventing communication mechanisms in the last 30 or 40 years has all been for the fingers and the eyes it's all been very visual starting obviously with email uh, which is now massively prevalent and and moving on to social media with instant messaging and text and so forth and there's a lot of evidence to show that younger people in particular very often would rather send a text than talk to somebody face-to-face or pick up a phone so we have compromised we've given this kind of arm's length relationship and i'm with sherry turkle the professor from mit who's also a ted talker uh, who has a book called alone together uh, where her proposition is that actually social media rather than bringing people together are forming a strange world where we have a lot of very shallow relationships instead of a few deep ones. And I would add to that: I think they they cause a couple of rather addictive relationships. One is personal broadcasting, where you know I'm t- I'm texting. I'm on a train. I mean, who cares? You know, there's this fantasy that there are thousands of people out there hanging on my every action. Well, there aren't. Most texts, if you most uh, tweets, if you look at it have one retweet or one like or something. It's not as if we are all stars, but we love to believe that. So that's very outbound communication. It it doesn't involve a lot of listening, does it? Uh, And the other thing, of course, that social media create is FOMO, the fear of missing out, which causes us to be checking in with devices uh, eternally and very frequently. You know, somebody might have tagged me or tweeted about me or whatever it might be. Uh, which, again, takes us away from being present, fully present and conscious and aware of where we are in the world actually and of the people who are actually around us. So, you know, you get the, the, the consistent paradigm of somebody on a device talking in inverted commas it's not really talking, talking to somebody who's not there next to somebody else who's on a device, talking to somebody who's not there and not talking to each other. So I think we've lost something there. We've lost uh, a, a, an attentiveness and a consciousness of the sound that's actually around us, which is important.
0: So I, I think you've touched on something um, pretty profound there. A lot of what you said already is is profound enough for most of us, but uh, it, it's my feeling, I don't, I'm sure you share this from what you've just said, that, you know, the younger generation, I've got 22-year-old twins and I love them very much, but, you know, it's becoming harder and harder and harder for younger people to communicate as effectively as perhaps the older generation where we had things like telephone boxes. A lot of people would never have heard of one of those things. Um, How do your talks, Julian, even begin to help people develop their listening skills in view of the fact we've got all these these challenges now, all these things that have been removed from society that um, before helped us. I mean, I'm told I'm not a very good listener particularly. So how would you help somebody like me to develop my listening skills?
1: Well, the very first thing, Sandro, is the consciousness. Uh, To a degree, it's sort of a humility about admitting that we're not listening very well. And the consciousness that this is a skill. Unfortunately, for the vast majority of people, they equate listening with hearing. And they're two very different things. You know, hear everything. Your ears are an amazing instrument. And it's your primary warning sense, of course. So, you know, you process sound faster than you process sight. And it goes very deep, very fast to your, your very old brain, because first of all, you're asking, is it danger? Which is why we react uh, even now to any sudden or unexplained sound with a fight-flight reflex. So sound affects us physiologically very powerfully in that way, changes heart rate and breathing and hormone secretions and blood chemistry and uh, neurotransmitters. So um, that happens automatically. Listening is very different. And this is where people have not appreciated that it's a skill. You do two things when you listen. First of all, you select certain things to pay attention to. And secondly, you make them mean something. So my definition of listening actually is making meaning from sound. And that's a mental process. And it happens all the time. Most people are unconscious of it. And the key thing to realize about that, first of all, is that you're listening just like mine, is absolutely unique. Nobody listens like you do. They may listen in similar ways, but it is a common mistake, very common mistake in business, in relationships, to assume everyone listens like I do. They don't. And that's because we listen through a set of filters which have developed over our life, the language we speak, the culture we're born into, whether that's a nation a city, an area, a family group, an extended tribe, whatever it might be. The values and attitudes and beliefs that we accrete along the way from parents and then teachers and role models and friends and so forth. And we choose certain things to make our own. And of course, any, in any situation, we may have intentions, expectations. We might have emotions going on. So all of those things combine to create a listening Right now, I'm speaking into a a large compound listening made up of you and all the listeners to this podcast who've brought their own listenings to the scene. So it's a really important question to ask if you want to be an effective speaker, to ask yourself, what's the listening I'm speaking into? So these are kind of transformative realizations. First of all, that listening is a skill and it's a conscious act. It's work. It's doing something. Secondly, that your listening is unique and it's very wrong to assume everyone listens like I do. So that opens up a whole fascinating inquiry when you start asking the question, what's the listening I'm speaking into? That really can transform your effectiveness as a speaker. Once you understand those things, this all gets really interesting. It opens up a whole world of an active relationship with sound and that to me is fascinating and i think it you know it's like turning up the color on a black and white picture or suddenly having a new dimension to deal with i hope that's something which is inspiring and exciting it certainly seems to be from the number of people who've responded to the ted talks and uh, who have got engaged with this so i'm delighted if i've made a bit of a difference in opening people's ears in the world
0: well 50 million listens that that's or views that's pretty impressive uh, by anyone's uh, measure so um I'm I'm fascinated to understand for somebody who's historically not been a very good listener. I think I am, but I'm told otherwise. How much effort does it take for someone like me, Julian, to consciously change from being a, you know, a poor listener to being a good one? In other words, are there any techniques that I can use? Is it just a, about cutting off distraction and really being in the
1: moment or is there is it bigger than that? After you've realized that you have a thing to do, uh, yes, there are some simple exercises that I recommend uh, in the book, in the TED Talk, uh, and in the course that I'm just about to launch. Simple things like, for example, RASA, uh, R-A-S-A is the Sanskrit word for juice, but I use it as an acronym for a very nice exercise for listening better in conversation. The R stands for receive, and that means actually paying attention to the other person, you know, not tapping away on a phone and go, yeah, no, I am listening to you. No, you're not. You're, just, you're sending a text. I have both listening. hands in the air right now. <laughs> <laughs> so paying attention in that way means facing the person and looking at them. The, the dance of the eyes, at least in Western conversation, tends to be that the speaker will gaze around and check back in from time to time to check that the listener is listening. The listener typically will be gazing steadily at the speaker and we all know the frustration if somebody's not doing that and they're reading a book or looking at something else or looking distracted you know you end up going are you listening to me so that is a frustration and i sadly i think there are billions of people on this planet who've never had the gift and it is a great gift to give somebody of being really truly listened to Mm. i think the american author scott peck said you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time So that's the R, receive, body language, facing the person, maybe leaning forward, not with your feet pointing out of the door and trying to leave and, you know, those kind of signals don't help. The A is appreciate, and that's little affirmative noises and if you're face-to-face gestures, which oil the conversation, things like, "Mm, oh, really? Now, you know, we can't be doing that very much in a podcast because it's not normal on radio to have that going on. Uh, nevertheless if it's a phone call that is important otherwise people will be saying are you still there if there's complete silence at the other end for ages so little noises like that or if you're face to face nods eyebrow raises smiles gestures mirroring and so forth those all uh, oil the conversation and let the person know you're with them and present and paying attention the s is summarize now i want to form a society for the preservation of the very important little word so so is a a, a word which indicates a logical sequence this therefore that it's it's almost a therefore in conversation it's a really powerful word as you go down the long corridor of a conversation you can close doors behind you by saying so what i've understood so far is this is that correct yes door closes now let's move on to the next thing in a meeting, it can be a very long meeting if you don't have a so person. You know, meetings, what is it they say? Places where you take minutes and waste hours. Uh, meetings can go round and round and round if you don't have somebody saying, so we've all agreed this, now let's move on to that. The reason I say preservation of the word is that it's sadly becoming very abused um, where it's used as the first word in a sentence. What's your name? So I'm John. Uh, No, I don't get your job because I just asked you. Mm. I don't see the logical. I've even seen TED Talks where people come on stage and the first word they say is, so, well, so what? What does this follow on from? You know, nothing. It's become a habit, particularly in the USA, but now all over the world. And I want to give that word back its power. It's a very important little word. And the A of Rasa is ask questions. At the beginning, all the way through, at the end, nice open questions, why, what, how, where, when, which, who, those kind of questions, which evince a lot of information, as opposed to the closed questions, which can get answered yes or no. And uh, as we've already said, you know, questions which perhaps deal with different perceptions, uh, different senses, different levels. Some people like the big picture, other people like the detail. And as you get into that flow, you start to understand the listening you're speaking into and the interaction and the levels at which you need to pitch the conversation. So the key thing with all of this is consciousness. It's consciousness. It's being conscious that you're doing something, being present. And once you get into doing an exercise like Rasa, which really will transform listening. I mean, I do urge everybody listening to this, just try it for a week and just pay attention to the way that your relationships change. and the reactions of the people that you're talking to change it it is transformative
0: i've already made a mental note um i don't want to be too political with this question but i think i know the answer do you think julian moore should be done to educate people on the importance of sound listening you know that that process of just an appreciation of the importance of what you just said in society today
1: Oh my goodness, yes. I don't think that's political. I think this is about being effective human beings, and particularly it's about living in social society. I mean, it's, it, you, you can't have a democracy, if that's what we want, without the ability to live in civilised disagreement. And that means listening to people and understanding. You don't have to agree with everybody, and in particular, if you're in the minority and you disagree with the majority, You certainly don't have to agree with them, but you do need to be able to say, well, I I don't agree with you, but I understand why you think that. That's the critical difference that you get from listening. And unfortunately, we have in the last few years, haven't we? I mean, I guess we Brits are responsible for starting it in some degree with the uh, populism and Brexit vote, and now it's moved to America. We have really moved towards politics of polarisation, of hatred, of caricature, of bigotry, uh, of uh, entrenched positions where there is no agreement, and people who are in the minority won't agree with people who are in the majority, uh, and that really becomes very diff- difficult. And you, you, would, that's a long slippery slope down to, you know, the ISIS point of view. If I, if I disagree with you, I'll kill you. Mm. Uh, so we need listening. Listening in the world conscious listening always opens the doors to understanding you may not agree but i think barack obama said i will listen to you especially when i disagree with you and that is a, a really important focus and of course you you know you mentioned social media and the web those have had a massive effect in polarizing people's listenings because we don't go on and surf for lots of different views we tend to go on and seek things that agree with us. So we get more and more entrenched and convinced that we're right. And sadly, being right is one of the two enemies of good communication that I talk about in the book a lot. Mm. Being right and looking good, those two things. If we're, if our communication is based on those things, we have a lot of conflict to deal with, a lot of conflict. And you know, so politicians go off and have talks. I wish they'd go off and have listens instead. It would be... <laughs> a much better world wouldn't it well
0: you know as i've been listening to you so intently probably the best bit of listening i've done for ages if and probably ever i've been reflecting julian on what you've just said and you know you are absolutely right there are many many great orators in the world but there are very few good listeners and i'm kind of thinking about you know a lot of the world's problems and issues stem primarily from a basic inability to consciously listen i'll, I'll emphasize the word consciously because there's listening and there's Consciously listening, as you say, um, I've I found this conversation really, really—I um, mean, eye-opening. Actually, I've not given a lot of thought to some of this subject matter before, and I'm sure the same is true of a lot of our listeners. So, thank you for sharing so openly. I'm sure we'll want you to come back and share some more. But in the meantime, since there will be lots and lots of people out there wanting to access your work and understand a little bit more about what you've been covering today on the podcast. Would you mind just giving us a little bit of an insight as to how we find out more about Julian Treasure, the book, the TED Talk, the course, and all the other things you're doing?
1: Absolutely, of course. Well, uh, at the core of it, I suppose, is um, well, there are two websites. The soundagency.com is there for anybody who's a business and wants to explore the idea of uh, asking and answering that question how does our brand sound? Uh, my own website, juliantreasure.com, is focused on the communication skills, so the skills of speaking and listening. And anybody who goes by there can uh, just uh, fill in a little form it's just asking you for your email address and then there's a a five-part video series on listening skills in there which is free Uh, and we'll keep you up to date with anything that we're doing and i'm very excited to say that i've completed and we're in the very final stages of preparing uh, a huge course seven and a half hours of material on speaking and listening skills particularly speaking skills for anybody who's got fear of public speaking for example Um, And that's going to be launched in just a couple of weeks time on the website. So do pop by, um, drop your email address in and we'll keep you up to date with any of that. And then there are the two books, Sound Business, for anybody who's in business and wants to understand the impact of sound and how, how to be heard, which is all about the skills of speaking and listening, the forgotten skills of speaking and listening. And that's done really well. Actually, it's won a couple of awards. So I'm very excited uh, with that one as well.
0: Well done, you're a, you're a fabulous chap. We've known each other, as I said, for quite some time. And Indeed, you fully deserve all the accolades. So the oh, final question you. I have for you, because time is against us, I'm afraid. But the final question I have for you, um, in a, in a way, I'm I'm going to ask you really to kind of encapsulate what you've just said, summarize, and I'll and I'll give you a a kind of a an analogy, if you like, set circumstances. So a young Julian Treasure comes up to you and says, Dad. Right, I'm just about to uh, go off into the big wide world, and what I'd love from you, if you would, is a is a couple of bits of information, a kind of a few words of wisdom that will set me up for life. What what few words of wisdom would Julian Treasure uh, Senior give to Julian Treasure Junior?
1: I would say learn and appreciate the skills of powerful speaking and conscious listening. And you will have a huge advantage compared to the vast majority of people out there who do neither of those two things uh, very well at all. Uh, So I think it's Hemingway said, I like to listen. Most people never listen. Listening is a great advantage. And I agree with that. So I would say learn those skills and work on them all your life and you won't go far wrong.
0: Well said. I have to say, one of the most interesting podcast guests we've had since, uh, since inception. Julian Treasure, thank you so much for joining us today. I know My you're pleasure, very Sandra. busy. There's so much going on in your life and you've found time for us. So on behalf of the tens of thousands of listeners, thank you so much for joining us. And long may you reign in terms of all the things you're doing. And hopefully you'll come back and join us again at some point in the future.
1: I'd love to, Sandro. My pleasure and thanks for having me.
0: So that was the Sandro Forte podcast. And what an amazing guest Julian Treasure was. He's got a great voice for radio as well, hasn't he? There are many more fantastic guests joining me over the coming weeks. So please make sure you subscribe if you want to pick up some more great tips on success. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Sandro's Podcast. Please remember that Sandro's with an S, same on all channels. And we'd love to hear your stories, ideas, anecdotes, challenges, whatever it is that motivates you. So please keep the emails coming. Hello at sandrospodcast.com. And if you can, please leave a review on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. And please don't forget to connect with me on social media, Sandro Forte, Twitter, LinkedIn and the rest. And of course, the real Sandro Forte on Instagram because somebody pinched Sandro Forte before me. So until next week, have a great week and we will see you soon. Thank you.